Tonight we take a um, giant step in Galatians out of the historical establishment of Paul's authority in Galatians and why he had the uh, responsibility to communicate God's truth because of the manner in which God had been at work in his life and the revelation of God to him, both in his conversion experience and forward, as God communicated not only his desire to save Paul, but also gave him what his task would be before him, really all the way to the end of his ministry that he would have to answer before even Gentile kings. And we saw that in our study in Acts, as we saw Paul um, press to that service throughout his life. And so... He has taken some great pains here in the book of Galatians to establish why it is that uh, uh, his message to them should be preferred over that which they have been hearing of late from Judaizers who have come in and said, it's not enough to trust in Christ, you also have to keep the whole law. And so having come to that conclusion last week, the the completion of that part of the book of Galatians, of, of working to establish the history of Paul's ministry authority. And that's really what this has been about. Um, he is setting himself up uh, positioned against those that claim to be someone. And so his claim, though, isn't for himself because of his education, because of his experience, um, but really his claim is based upon the revelation of God. Uh, as the Old Testament prophets. Why should you listen to them and not the people that tell you what you want to hear? Uh, Well, you listen to the ones who can be affirmed to be servants of the Lord and communicating his truth. And so he establishes himself as doing both of those things. And in the course of that, he also shares with us the um, affirmation of his apostolic authority by the other apostles specifically with reference to the Gentile community, um, which, of course, is largely who he's writing to here in the region of Galatia. And so as we have concluded that, we are now quickly transitioning into a very powerful theological discourse. What do we believe about Christ and the law? What is this liberty that we have in Christ and what are its parameters? Um, How is it that we are saved? To what are we saved? Um, and all of this is given within the context of a guarded response to error. And so because it's a response to our error, trying to guard the church, we have some really strong language. We've already seen some of it introduced. He is, un- <laughs> is certainly not willing to, uh, to just call a spade a spade in the vernacular. He, he is willing to identify individuals as false, as um, spies as those who would uh, bring bondage to the church where Christ has brought liberty. So we come into the theological facet of that of this, and, and we want to uh, begin to construct, if you will, um, the theology that Paul is going to uh, use to counter the arguments made by the Judaizers, those who want you to accept circumcision, accept all of the requirements of the law in addition to Christ. And we're going to pick this up in 
chapter 2, and uh, we're going to back up a little bit into his response to Peter, and again, we have a very difficult time identifying where he stops quoting what he said to Peter and where he starts teaching the Galatians. It's a little bit of a challenge for us to identify. Some will say it stops here and starts there, um, but he just slides right into his communication. Um, And so let's go ahead and back up and look at what he said to Peter in verse 14. Uh, In the middle of the verses, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. And now the very famous verse that many people quote, uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Let's go Lord in prayer before we get into uh, this any more significantly yet this evening. Lord, we do thank you for your word before us. We thank you also for your spirit to guide us into its truth and uh, knowing that your word is truth. And Lord, we pray that you might uh, work in our minds and hearts to not only grasp its meaning in terms of the uh, words and what they say, but also their uh, consequence upon us and the uh, opportunities that it affords us and the privileged condition that we have Uh, in you, and that we might recognize you as our Lord and Savior and be motivated through this to serve you better. And Lord, we thank you for your scriptures. We pray as we look into them now that you might guide us. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul begins really by discussing where Peter and himself came from? Where did he come from? What is our background? Well, we were Jews, um, and if being a Jew was enough, if being a Jew and fulfilling all the requirements of Judaism were sufficient, I think I had that covered. The fact is, that wasn't enough, and we who were Jews weren't complete in terms of our relationship with God without the work of Jesus Christ. And so, we, the Jews, um, needed to be justified, not by the keeping the law, because we recognize that all none of us could. And so we Jews had to be justified, and that word justified, again, is that judicial statement, that, that courtroom declaration that you are not guilty. It doesn't mean that your, your guilt is, is gone. It's that it's been declared by the judge as not guilty. What we find is that we did walk into the courtroom guilty. Um, we had committed and have committed the offenses that God has identified, um, and what happens in that courtroom is not that somehow we can make those offenses go away by doing good things from then on. You can't make the offenses go away that way. But what the judge can do is can then declare that uh, or place that guilt elsewhere. And so Christ comes into that courtroom and says, yes, this party is guilty. I'm going to take his guilt for him. 
I'll take the punishment, I'll take the blame, I'll take the guilt. And I will become his sin. And I'll pay that price. And that's that word justification. So I'm declared innocent, not guilty. Um, Not because my experience is that I'm not guilty, for in fact we all were guilty under law. That's why we need to be justified. Um, Not by the works of the law, but rather by the work of Christ. And so in verse 16, Paul makes it very clear that uh, we Jews, uh, who weren't the horrible sinners of the Gentiles, we weren't the people ignorant of God's law and breaking every law all the time, we who are Jews, who have been working hard to keep the law, needed justification. We needed Jesus Christ. And if we needed him, certainly then the law wasn't enough. Because if the law was sufficient to to make us righteous and to give us a standing before God, then Jesus Christ didn't need to come. Because the law was enough. And so if we Jews had to have faith in Jesus Christ to be saved, to be justified, to be declared not guilty, then how can we now come and turn this around on the Gentiles and say that Jesus isn't enough and want to back them in to the law? When really all the law did was help us understand our guilt, not declare us not guilty. The law brings guilt, not justification. And so why do we need to take sinning Gentiles that know they're sinners? That's why they responded to the appeal of the gospel. They know they're sinners, and so they needed a Savior, a Deliverer. Why do we need to then take them after they've accepted Christ and, 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 and put them in reverse, sort of, and put them into the law that no man can keep to, what, prove they're sinners? Well, they already know they're sinners, they, they, they broke every facet of the law. They ignored the law. They were, they were, they were, they were uh, uh, lawless in their behavior. And so um, Paul begins by talking about the necessity of the Jews to be saved through Jesus Christ. If we needed Christ, then certainly that should immediately make you realize, well, the law wasn't effective for salvation. So if it wasn't effective by itself to justify us and Jesus Christ had to come, then how can it be used effectively to uh, complete Christ? How can it be used to be added to Christ? Um, you can't do that, really. You can't make that leap. And, it, and Paul is calling Peter um, on it and saying, you know, you couldn't be justified by keeping the law. I couldn't be justified by keeping the law. And I was as far as Israel was concerned, I was keeping the law better than you were. I mean, this is Pharisee of the Pharisee, zealous for the law, who opposed the way every chance he had. And he says, listen, you and I, were we justified by the law or by Christ? By Christ. Okay, then. So why? And he asked the question, um, why? Um, Since we needed Christ to be justified, um, and it wasn't by keeping the law, um, why do you think that there are different rules or a requirement for the law upon others? Um, and this he brings out, and he talks about the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So there isn't, you know, it's just not fair. You know, we've been keeping the law, and 
got saved, and those people haven't been keeping the law at all, and they get saved the same. And there's almost a animosity there. It somehow just doesn't seem right. That here I've been trying really hard all my life to be a good religious person, keeping the law and going and doing my sacrifices and, and giving my tithes and, and doing all the things that are required of, of a good Jewish person, and then I receive Christ as my Savior, and um, to be delivered from my sin that the sacrifices never really took away. And now here comes a Gentile. How can you compare the two? And the attitude underlying this of the Judaizers is one of, of an, a, a prideful issue that um, somehow there's no way you can come and be granted, graced, if you will, up to this level of righteousness um, just by trusting in Christ. That just doesn't seem equitable. <laughs> it doesn't seem fair between us that here I've been somewhat righteous. I haven't been sinners like the Gentiles. And that's the phrase he uses there. We haven't sinned like the Gentiles, but we were sinners. No, no, no. We went to church, but we were sinners in church. We went to synagogue. We were sinners there. We kept the law, but we didn't keep it perfectly. So we we're guilty of it all. And so we um, have this this understanding. But yet, what the what the Judaizers were trying to say is that can Christ overcome all of that sin? And when Paul uses the word "sinners of the Gentiles," we weren't sinners of the Gentiles. That is, we weren't in complete lawlessness like them that were involved in unspeakable acts and and in complete darkness. Um, you know, at least we had the law of Moses and the prophets, and and we had uh, you know the name of God, and we were worshiping the right God. They were out there worshiping uh, all these other false gods and, and, and offering idols and, and you come out of that and you can come into a righteous standing before God through the work of Jesus Christ directly? Yes. All flesh is justified the same way, not by the works of the law. The law's purpose, as we have stated, was not to deliver Israel. It was to condemn Israel. The law was there to point to their sin, say, Aha, look, so that they could come to God by faith that he would receive their uh, sacrifice as a picture of what was to come. Um, Whether they all really understood that fully, we can discuss, but it's conjecture really, um, the evidence there is that from even back in the Garden of Eden, it was understood that this bloodshed was pointing to one who would be an innocent, full sacrifice for men. Um, and so we find that uh, the law's purpose was to communicate sin so that we could recognize our need and then trust in God's plan to resolve that need, to meet it. Well, if you've already come to God as a Gentile, and you already know that, boy, I've been a heathen. I've, I, I haven't even known the name of God uh, until Paul showed up or some other believer showed up and, and uh, shared him with me. Um, and now I am justified. You might say, well, they didn't know the law. But there is a law written in the hearts. And Paul goes into this in Romans 
that there are other avenues by which men recognize that they are sinners. And we need to accept those other avenues. Law is a very powerful avenue and one that we recommend you use. We don't say discard the law. We want to employ the law. We're right now in our Word Life Clubs, we're having the kids memorize the Ten Commandments. Well, why? To keep them? No, to show them that they can't keep them. They haven't kept them. They've done a really raunchy job at them. They've already broken them, so many of them, and they're only little guys and girls. So why learn the law? Because of its wonderful work to show us how much we need a Savior. But there are other things, um, I think not as powerful as the law, but there are other things in our world that point to our sin. Correct? Are we familiar with those in Romans? Let's go to Romans 1 very quickly and just look at those very quickly, just for a rehearsal. Um, And so this is a statement of condemnation of why is God condemning men who have never heard, who have never known? Um, And uh, verse 18, it says, So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And so they're, they're... they're, they're stopping their ears. They don't want to hear the truth. They're, like we talked about this morning, they, they have dull hearts. They don't want the truth. It's not that the truth isn't available to them. It's they don't want to hear it. They don't want to recognize it. Well, who are we talking about? Are we talking about people with scriptures? No. Here's what he's talking about. Because, in verse 19, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Singular interesting. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use of what is, for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burning their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And he goes on and describes the sins that they were engaged in. And so... Um, the, he's not talking up here in this context of, of those that have special revelation. We're talking about in a general, all humanity have this access, that there is an understanding, that there, deep within us, whether we are, are hardened ourselves against it or not, it's been there, it's been there since we were young. Um, first of all, that there is a right and a wrong. And a lot of times we're doing the wrong thing. And I know our world is trying desperately to get rid of, of, of guilt, aren't they? They're just trying to get rid of guilt. I mean, that's 
You know, I'm going to drink it away. I'm going to shoot it away. I'm going to, I'm going to try to get rid of my guilt. All these ways. I'm going to try to um, uh, get rid of it by being a good person. I'm going to try to get rid of my guilt. But the fact is the guilt stands. We all have that conscience that God has placed within us um, that eventually will get seared. Uh, the Bible says in Romans there, we are just reading, as with a hot iron, that God will debase our mind. Um, and allow it to go into that state where we start to be numb to sin, and that's how we got rid of our guilt. Not by getting rid of the guiltiness, just getting rid of the feeling, because we don't feel anything anymore. We've been numbed to it. And that's the state of many of the people we're encountering in our society today. They're just numbed to sin. That's not sin. That's not wrong. Well, we know it's wrong. Right? And does it have to wait till there's violence before we recognize right from wrong? I don't think so. It does, is it now right or wrong just because everyone consents to it? Well, just because you have consent doesn't equal rightness, right? So if a whole society decides that um, we should kill all redheaded people, does it make it okay? That's because I'm a redheaded person. Does that make it okay if all society decides that? I assume even the red-headed people, right? Theodore, that'd be okay with you, right? No. All right? And so, um, obviously, moral truth is not dependent upon opinion. It's not dependent upon consensus. That is, everyone agreeing to it. Where did that moral truth of what is right and wrong come from? Well, Romans tells us it came from God, and that's available to everyone. And so while the Jews had the law, that was, and the law is, is incredibly valuable to show you very quickly, wow, I'm a sinner and I deserve punishment. I've broken that one, I've broken that one, I've broken that one. Oh boy, have I broken that one. And I am breaking that one right now. Uh, and, you know, it goes right down the list. <laughs> It is, it is just a magnifying glass to pinpoint sin. Bam. But that's not the only mechanism. And so here's the Jewish person saying over and says, well, they didn't even make an attempt to keep the law, and they're going to get saved. That's not right. They should have to go through everything we went through. No, Paul says no. All flesh, the only way to be justified wasn't through the law, it's through Christ. And if they came to Christ through another mechanism that showed them their sin, then... That's sufficient. And if it is their conscience, if it is the laws of their land, if it is, if it is uh, the, their, their search for truth and, and uh, their conscience, whatever it is that brings them to understanding, I have a great need. Maybe it's a circumstance of life. Maybe it's just their thoughtfulness. Um, that, that there's got to be more to this than what's going on and, and their misery, uh, their discomfort. Uh, Whatever it is that brings them to a knowledge of their need, um, that they turn to Christ, it is Christ that delivers. The law doesn't deliver you. And so this is the reason we don't add the law to the gospel. Its purpose was not to deliver. Its purpose was to point to sin. If someone has already understood their sin, the works of the law didn't justify us it doesn't justify the Jews. It doesn't justify the Gentiles. It doesn't help because it's already been rectified through the work of Jesus Christ. 
And so um, now he's going to, that, that takes us through verse 16, and now he's got to deal with the other half of the argument. So this is one half, okay? So, and some people think that this is where he transitions to speaking to the Galatians, um, possibly earlier, some all the way to the end of the chapter, uh, is the quotation of his engagement with Peter. Um, it's not critical what position you want to hold on that. I, I don't think that the statements are certainly flowing with one another. So we come to now the other end of it. And, and he dealt with this again in Romans later. He develops this much more fully later on. But let's look at verse 17. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. So now the other side of this interest of the Judaizers was to draw these believers into an identification of what does it mean to be a righteous person in Christ. And so we find the statement, if we seek to be justified by Christ, okay, um, and we find ourselves are sin, found sinners, um, is that the work of Christ? In other words, um, for these Jewish people, looking at Gentile behavior was abhorrent to them. They have been raised all their life saying, don't touch that, don't eat that, wash, 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 wash. Okay? And so they come in, and now they come into a Gentile church, and they're like, oh, 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 you want me to do what? I got to shake their hand? I got to greet them with a holy kiss? Oh, that would be even worse, right? I got to eat that with them? Where's the wash basin? I got to share a wash basin with them? And all of this history comes out, and now they're struggling to enter a church and to fellowship because to them, almost everything they're doing from their history is sin to them. Because they've been raised all their life saying, well, that would be wrong. You mean I can marry his daughter? No way! Yes, It's okay, she's a believer. You're a believer. You're one in Christ. And so here come, so you can understand the mentality of the Judaizers coming in. Um, Life in a Gentile church was extraordinarily uncomfortable for them because they have been culturally immersed in the law, and for them, these were violations of it. They just could not accept and maybe not even fully grasp what the liberty of Christ is to rise above the law and to associate the fact that these Gentile people and some of their Gentile practices, and I'm not talking about the the practices of evil that are listed there in Romans 1. I'm talking about their foods they eat um, and, and just their, their attire, maybe um, their... just normal life, what it was like, um, was offensive to them. And so we come into church, and, uh, and by the way, this is going on today still. Uh, we have people come into this church and can't fellowship with us because they're not comfortable. Um, they, they have been raised all their life that if it's not being preached from a certain version, if, if you know, the, the, you're wearing shorts in church, that's sin, um, and, and I, 
I wasn't raised in that. That understanding of this very narrow idea of what is spiritual. Um, But they were. Now, I have been in churches that have that. I have occasioned there. My family moved quite extensively around the country. So um, occasionally we were in churches like that. But but while we um, were able to function there, we certainly didn't adopt those standards. Um, But uh, um, going the reverse direction is hard. Because they come in and they think they're committing a sin. Because they've been told that by preachers. You're committing a sin if you use any version but the King James 1611. You're committing a sin if you're not um, dressed to the nines to go to church. You're committing sin. And so they come into a congregation like this one and they can't function. So all they want to do is look around and say, well, and they just want to point the finger. <laughs> right up here. And all I can do is smile and shrug and share with them some scripture and, and our position and, and the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives and, and uh, what is our liberty. And so Paul here is dealing with the people that aren't necessarily um, just trying to uh, make everyone conform to their way. There are some underlying attitudes there that are very similar today. And so... Um, I grew up in one church, uh, and in most of the churches I grew up had church covenants, and it's, and it's fascinating uh, reading church covenants, the history of those. We don't even have one here. Um, our church covenant is uh, in our constitution, our statement of faith, uh, to a degree. It simply gives a list of things we want you to strive after in your Christian life. But uh, most churches that I grew up in, Baptist churches, had a church covenant that you had to agree to to join that church. And it was a list of things you would not participate in. And so we, um, in, in almost every church I think I was a member of, we were not to go to movie theaters. Any of you in churches like that? Historically, just me. A few, okay, a couple of you, three of you. Um, you had to covenant that, that you would not uh, consume alcohol in any form. Uh, I don't know what happened with NyQuil, but um, <laughs> you had to covenant that you would not do that. You would not use uh, any form of tobacco or drugs. Um, you would um, not use playing cards. Couldn't use any cards that had King, Jack, Queen. That's for gambling. You would not go to any gambling involvement. You would not engage in any gambling. And so um, these covenants would be read. Um, In fact, uh, the one church read them every quarter. We would stand up together and read the church covenant that we would not participate in this list of things. And if you did, it was a cause for church discipline. Now, if you came from that setting and took that very seriously, that was sin, and you walk into a church where um, those are not issues that are raised and addressed uh, as a group, as a body, um, in a covenant format, and certainly not imposed or enforced, uh, you're going to have an attitude, right? You're going to be sitting there saying, they go to movies. By the way, I still don't go to movies. I think it's a sin if you do. I don't think it's a sin. I, I, I just don't because I can't. Bugs me. Same thing with alcohol, same things with, um, and yes, I take gin-soaked raisins, but there's no gin left. So um, go to Walmart and buy gin as a pastor. and Boy, you're just like, uh, Scott couldn't even stay in the aisle with me when we did it the first time. I can't do this. 
I said, this is medicine. We're not getting this to chug down, okay? I'm taking nine raisins a day, um, which he now takes too, don't you? You taking those? Yeah, he's taking them too. Um, so uh, it was hard. And I remember the first time introducing playing cards. I was like, oh, I wonder if this is okay. Well, I'll do it. It's at their house, and I'll be gracious. Um, well, you know, we had our what we call Baptist poker, which is rook. So Baptists play rook. They don't mess with anything else. Um, what they were setting forth is trying to do kind of what the Judaizers are doing. Um, we are going to cater to those who have this highest, in their mind, their highest standard of conduct. And we're going to make everyone adhere to that standard. And so there was that attitude coming in that we find sin in you. And so Paul says, you know, we are justified in Christ. We, we are seeking to be justified by Christ. And yet we are found to be sinners. They look at you and say, you're eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. How can you not understand us participating in idolatry? Well, it's kind of the leftovers. It's, you know, I didn't sacrifice it to an idol, and I don't recognize the idol. And to Paul in Romans, he says it's really not a big deal unless it's a big deal to that person. And then don't serve it to them when they come to your house, okay? Don't eat it in front of them. Don't bring it to the church picnic. Recognize that. And that's a form of love we're going to talk about the confines of my liberty in Christ is not a set of rules, but a quality called love one another. And so, um, by the way, um, just to set the record a little bit, 150 years ago, um, many churches uh, had in their covenant there would be no organ music because organs were used in the circuses and associated with, with some bad kind of people. Interesting, huh? Organs. So um, those things shift, and the use of culture shifts. And so if I were to write a church covenant today, I would probably say, thou shalt not ever bring an iPod to church, or an iPhone, or anything that has an eye at the beginning. I would write that in a church covenant. I really would. I would make that a rule, that if you're... You're walking around with a digital gadget on your belt. When you come to church, you're going to be prayed over and kicked. And No, we won't kick you. <laughs> and so these Judaizers are coming in, and, and here they come to the church picnic, and, and someone brought pork chops. What's a Jewish person to do with that? That's evil. That's sin. I can't consume it. Just like Peter, who said to Jesus himself, Not so, Lord. I have never let that stuff cross these lips. That's how powerful this is. Peter says this to Jesus. Uh, No, 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 no. I can't go that far in in this liberty thing in Christ. That's how powerful this was. So that when Judaizers are coming into the Gentile churches, they're saying, you can't do that. You can't be called righteous and eat that meat you can't be called righteous and not wash before you do that you cannot call yourself righteous and so they found them identified them as sinners and yet they're in christ they're your christian brethren and so the question is does liberty 
equal sin. And where's the line there between your liberty in Christ and what is truly sin? And this Paul needs to explore with the people, and we're going to do that a little bit later because my time's almost up tonight. But um, this was the issue. What the Judaizers were trying to do is say the law is the measure. And Paul, that wasn't the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was not to define righteousness. It was to define sin. And so the the righteousness of Christ is, and you've heard me say this over and over again, is on a different level. It's, it's a whole new uh, measure from the law. And so uh, he's going to explore that measure. Um, but for the Judaizers, saying your life in Christ is encouraging sin. And from their perspective, it was. And from many people's perspective who come into this church looking for that kind of church uh, that, that is ruled by this set of very staunch and rigid lines, um, they come in and say, I, I can't fellowship with you because I think most of what you're doing is sin. You're reading out of the wrong Bible. You're wearing the wrong clothes. Um, and, and, and frankly, when... Pastor Reddy came, and it was a struggle for him to be here. It was a struggle for him to minister here because you ladies didn't have your heads covered. It was a struggle. Um, and to him, that was sin. Interesting enough, he had the Bible on his side, New Testament. Um, and so uh, we, we express grace, and we, and we address it, and we say, what is sin? Is it defined by this rigid measure, or is it defined... Uh, within the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ, um, are we truly loving one another? And this is what God's Word calls us to, is a conduct of life that is willing to identify true sin, that is, moral lapse, that which Christ identifies, and the God Bible identifies very clearly as sin, and that we recognize that outside of that there is a great liberty in Christ. And so Paul can say, um, I don't care if you eat meat or don't eat meat, that's really not a thing. Um, but you know what is a thing is, what about this brother over here who thinks you're sinning by eating that meat? And now he looks at you as a sinner. And he thinks that you are using Christ to sin with. And that's not the message we want to communicate. And so he's saying that's not what we want to say. Certainly not. Do we want to think that your liberty in Christ says you can sin as much as you want? And the word that we use uh, in this discussion is license. Is liberty equal to license? A license to sin. And just like in Romans, Paul here in Galatians says certainly not. This is not what we're talking about. That because you have the liberty in Christ to be led by the Holy Spirit in accordance with his word, um, and, and that you're delivered from the law, does not mean you now have a license to just do whatever you want. That's not what he's talking about in liberty. So don't confuse this and think, well, you call that sin, but I don't think of that as sin. No, what we're talking about is... is um, 
behaviors that um, really the Judaizers were introducing behaviors that no Gentile ever even thought about, period, whether they were sinner or not, because they were brought in through the law and imposed upon Israel as a testimony to them. And so the food laws uh, was to remain separate from the Canaanites and the, and the Egyptians and others, so you would remain separate. Um, well, our separation from the world is, is not on that level. It's on a different it's a spiritual level, not, a, not necessarily on that physical plane. And so we, we are called to express our separation from the world very differently, but we are still called to show it. And so as the Jews came in and say, oh, they're not, sep- they're, oh, they're behaving just like Gentiles a lot. That's got to be sin, because I have been raised all my life to say that, to see that. So Paul says, that's not what we're about. It's not just do whatever you want. I mean, we, in our study of Corinthians, I mean, Paul is pretty specific. That's sin, that's sin, that's sin. Covetousness, sin. Right? I mean, he, he didn't pull any punches in, in identifying what is truly sin. That is, these are immoral things. These are things that, that God is displeased with. But when it comes to your food, when it comes to whether um, you... Uh, wash your clothes in Tide, or what else is there? Era? Um, whether you, you know, use an electric dryer or hang them up to dry. You know, I mean, pick whatever ridiculous thing you want. That These are issues that you live your life. And let's not begin to define them as sin. And so we live in an era that I can sit there and look at that old covenant. And I can say, don't go to movie theaters. And then you say, well, but facing the giants and Flywheel and all those Christian movies are in there. If we don't support those, then how are they going to be made? And, and um, so I'm not going to make that declaration. It's kind of funny because all those people brought those movies home and watched them later. <laughs> they didn't go to the movie theater and watch them. When they come out on television, it's okay. Back then, we didn't have VHS. Yes, that's true. When I was a kid, there was no VHS, let alone DVDs. So if you didn't watch it on TV or at the movie theater, you didn't watch it. Period. Unless you had your own little 16-millimeter movie. So we're going to be careful to call sin, sin, and limit it to what the Bible says is sin. And when we get into Christian living, we're going to call you to do what's excellent. What's the best you can do for God? What's the best way to live for God? What's the best way to worship God? And we're going to strive for that. And if you don't hit that mark, um, I'm not ready to call that sin, unless you're not trying to hit the mark. If you have a lackadaisical attitude towards worship and, and uh, you can take it or leave it and, and you can, you know, I'm trying to think, I'm, I don't even want to look at you right now. And if you're just, you know, going to smack your gum and I'm not, I don't want to look at see who's chewing gum or whatever and you're just, here I am and then you're sinning. Not because of your chewing gum, it's because of the attitude that isn't worshipful. And, but we, have, we are prone to want to replace 
difficult things to measure with things that are easily measured when it comes to sin. You know, it's easy to measure, you know, oh, you went to a movie theater, you went, well, that's measurable, but being worldly, uh, is worldliness sin? Yes. And so we are called um, not to define sin um, by man's measure. And they might find us sinners, um, but the fact is, is that we are being justified by Christ and we now have a liberty to live not by the law, but something different. And Paul's going to explore that difference here in a little bit in the balance of this book, but also in this chapter. as He's going to talk about his life crucified with Christ. We'll get to that next week, Lord willing. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word before us. And... Uh, Again, uh, things that Peter and Paul struggled with. And Lord, we see it in our day. It is so easy for us to just put out a list of standards and think that anyone that doesn't meet those is a sinner. And, and yet we find people that meet those standards and sin in the process. Even as the Pharisees sought to meet your law and were in rebellion and rejection of you the whole time. And so, Lord, give us a understanding of your grace and mercy, but also of your holiness. That it might be within us, your righteousness in us, that expresses itself by your Spirit's lead. And, Lord, do give us discernment. We know that there are brethren of ours we might look at several things in our lives and think we're sinners. And we certainly don't want our liberty to beat them over the head with it, but rather that we might be careful in expressing our love for them and our willingness to uh, subjugate ourselves. And yet never in a manner that would seek to justify ourselves by our conduct instead of by Christ. And so Lord, give us that balance and help us in this struggle as we go through this book and go through our lives to live out our liberty in Christ, but to overshadow that by living out our love for one another. We praise his in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.